to another online service to all of you uh, that are joining us today. And um, we, if you are not a part of Antioch Central, but you're on this live stream, we're, we're thrilled to have you um, as a part of it as well. Did want you to take note, I thought this would be kind of an appropriate uh, sweater to wear today in light of the snow falling outside so that was my um, that was my wardrobe wardrobe motivation um, for today so I want to um, want to get into what I again what I feel like the Lord uh, gave me last night and um, there, there's some of this um, or let me let me I guess rephrase that the the kind of the theme of this is something that I, I've touched on several times in the last several months. In fact, if I recall, and I don't remember the exact message, but I feel like um, within the last couple of months, I kind of I preached a, a, a message that was really kind of uh, this this basic theme. Um, but the Lord is just kind of brought me back to it for this morning. And um, so I want to begin with some verses. And um, it's Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, we're going to start reading with verse number one. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in, and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. I, I want you to I want you to notice something here for just a second. Um, it's not really the the main focus here, but as I would just read that verse, it just kind of uh, hit me, and that is they 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 were much perplexed. They were much perplexed that they show up to the tomb and Jesus is not there. And actually, we'll read it in a moment. The angel is is kind of puzzled, the angel they encounter, because they're looking for Jesus and he has risen. And yet they went to the tomb expecting to find him there. And and I think um I think I think we have to recognize that um we may as well go through moments of struggles, of doubts and and questions over things that God has clearly promised that he was going to do. They, they should have, uh, if we want to be sort of uh, critics, critique this, they, their, their response when they found an empty tomb really should have been one of excitement and rejoicing because Jesus told them he was going to rise again. But that was not, that was not their response. They were, they were troubled by the fact that they, they could not find him. So they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, Thou saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. The angel asks them the question, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the risen Savior in, in, in a tomb? They were no doubt perplexed by the question from the angel. What do you mean, why are we, look, why are we seeking for the living among the dead? We are seeking for the dead where the dead 
are supposed to be in a buried tomb, in a tomb. But, but here's, the, here's the difference. The angel and these, these women were coming from two different places. They, they had two different uh, uh, points of departure, or as I think another way of saying it, they had two different frames of reference. They were, they were coming from two completely different places. These women were coming from sort of uh, uh, their point of departure was was the cross. It was standing there seeing Jesus die and then probably following him to be buried and seeing them put the put the stone in place. That was that was their frame of reference. That was that when they when they thought back to what had occurred, that's what they thought of. But the angel or the angels, but the one that spoke to them, these angels they were coming, I guess if I could say it this way, they weren't coming from the past, they were coming from the future. Their, their point of departure was, was in essence heaven. Their point of departure, their frame of reference was, was the victory that had been won. It wasn't the defeat, it wasn't the cross, it wasn't death, it was, it was resurrection, it was life. And the, the, the challenge that, um, that I think we face today is, is, is sort of our, our frame of reference. And I, I'm, uh, it, it's, it's what our past experiences are. But then also, and uh, this, this, is, this is, I guess, really kind of where I'm trying to go, when, kind of like the angels, when you and I read Scripture, and, and especially in, in light of this morning, what I feel like the Lord has given me, when we read about the characters throughout Scripture, and especially, uh, primarily, the, the notable characters throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, um, you know, the, the, the people that we first learned about in Sunday school, if you attended Sunday school, the, the heroes, if you will, of Scripture. We are looking at them from the side of the completion of their lives. We look back and we see the victory. We see the outcome. We see what God did through them. And that's, and that's the first thing that we see when we look at them. We don't see first where they came from, like Mary and, and, and those that came to the tomb. They had come from the cross. Their, their background was the cross. When you and I are looking back at Scripture and reading the stories of the men and women of the Bible Again, we're looking backwards, and from our perspective, we don't look through the filter of their past. We have to actually look through the filter of their successes to see their past. And the problem with that is, I think we have created some uh, sort of inaccurate, false perceptions of the people of the Bible. And, and, and the reason I feel like that's so critical and, and I guess kind of the motive and the burden this morning of what I feel is we're in this unique time, unlike anything we've ever been in in our lifetime. We are, I have heard several people, Brother Shelton touched on it yesterday, but I've heard other men of God uh, say that they believe that we are in we are in the end times, and to a degree, we are in sort of this um, really even, I mean, in general, we could say we're in the end times, but there is this, this real, <laughs> I guess it's kind of like in a, you know, like a basketball game. You got four quarters, and when you get to the fourth quarter, 
You say, well, we're at the end of the game, but depending on what level it is, that could be anywhere from you know another eight minutes to another 15 minutes um, for that for that quarter. But when you get down to you know in, in football, they have in both halves, first and second half, they have they have a they have a two minute warning at the end of the half, and and that's you know especially that second half, that two minute warning is it's almost over. It's it's not just the beginning of the fourth quarter. We are almost finished. And depending on the, the scenario of the game, it, it changes how you affect what you're doing. And if it's, a, if it's a close game and there's still an opportunity to win and you're on offense, then, then you, manage, you manage everything differently. You, you're, you're, you're in more of a hurry. You've you got to look at the clock. You don't want to waste time. And so again, you start the fourth quarter. It's the it's getting to the end of the game, but there's a there's a difference between the start of the fourth quarter and the last two minutes. And and I think we are we are perhaps if not there, we are about to be at the two minute warning. And 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 that's not intended to be a negative uh, statement. It's intended to be actually a positive because we know we just heard it. Um, pause. Yes. Um, Bishop teaching about the the promises of God and worldwide end time revival and harvest and there are there are promises like that there's promises to us as a church that we've yet to see fulfilled and you and I are the ones that God is going to fulfill those things through and 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 the challenge I feel like we face and I know it's my challenge and so I'm assuming that I'm not unique to this that others can relate the challenge is when I look back at Scripture and see the men and women of God that were used to accomplish great things, in my mind, they are somewhere up on this pedestal, and I am way down here. And again, I feel like a big part of that is because we look back at them, and, the, and pretty much the first thing we see, again, is it's their accomplishments, it's the successes, it's the great things that God did through them. But the bottom line is this, and one of the things I appreciate so much about the Word of God is it paints a very real picture of all of the characters of the Bible. There's not, there's not one person of significance in Scripture that you cannot find fairly easily some of their flaws and weaknesses. It's not something you have to interpret it's not something that's kind of hidden and you got to dig down to find it. It's, it's right there. Some of the mistakes they made, some of the, the failures of their lives. I mean, just take David for one. We, we get a very real picture of David. It, it's not all of David's successes that the Bible, it's not, it's not just David's successes that the Bible tells us about. It's his failures and weaknesses too. And in fact, some of the Psalms is, is in essence, David clearly ex expressing his struggles and his weaknesses. And, and I, I, I just, I feel like it's important for us to try to get a, I don't know, I guess a revelation that um, <laughs> they were just as much human beings as you and I are. They were not superheroes there is a there's a song that plays uh, fairly regularly on um, on Christian radio, contemporary Christian radio, and um, the title of the song is "Confidence" by Sanctus Real, and uh, it, it's really a you know it's kind of a catchy song, got a you know kind of a nice little tune, got some kind of neat little lyrics. But I, I have to tell you, I, I've kind of always, I think, and I know at least recently, but I think pretty much always, I've had a little bit of a struggle with the song. Um, I'm going to read to you the, I want to read the, the first verse of it and, uh, and the chorus. Now, I don't, I don't have a struggle with the first verse because I think it's very accurate for with where many of us are or at least have been the first verse says, I'm not a warrior. I'm too afraid to lose. I feel unqualified for what you're calling me to. But Lord, with your strength, 
I've got no excuse because broken people are exactly who you use. Now, again, that verse, no problem. Agree 100%. And most of us can identify with it, those first couple of lines. I, I'm not a warrior. I, I'm afraid to lose. I, I hear, um, and I, I taught about it months ago after Brother Hurt, or while, right after Brother Hurt was here, or at least in between, I think, some of the times that he was here. And we talk about the end times. We talk about what's coming. Uh, we talk about what we may have to end up facing as believers and as, as Christians, how we may have to conduct ourselves. And, and uh, you may be like, you know, hitting your chest, bring it on, let's go kind of a thing. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not, I got to be honest, I'm not quite like that. And I don't think I'm the only one that's not like that because there's a part of me that's saying, I, I'm not a warrior. I'm, I'm, I'm not that I'm too afraid to lose maybe, but I'm, I'm just afraid that do I have what it takes? Do I have the, the, the ability? Do I have the determination? Do I have the strength? If I like some of the martyrs throughout history, if I'm standing there with the threat of deny Jesus or lose your life, do I have what it takes? And, and so, I, I, again, that first verse, I think, is, is, is um, I, don't, I don't have problems with the first verse. I'll just put it that way. Not that I have problems and not that it even matters, but to the, I guess, to the point. Here's the course, and this is, I guess this is where I have my struggles. The Course says, so give me faith like Daniel in the lion's den. Give me hope like Moses in the wilderness. Give me a heart like David, Lord, be my defense so I can face my giants with confidence. And, and I guess maybe the part about David, okay, but those first two. Give me faith like Daniel in the lion's den. Give me hope like Moses in the wilderness. The bottom line is you and I don't need faith like Daniel. That's not the, that's not the goal. Daniel wasn't saying, God, give me faith like another Daniel from the, from the past. Daniel was just walking uh, the, the path that God was leading him down. And, and yes, absolutely, we should look at these stories from the Bible and they should build our faith. God, if you can take Daniel through a lion's den and keep his life safe, you can take my, my life. But it's not about me having Daniel's faith. It's not about me having hope like Moses in the wilderness. It, it's about me being who God's called me to be and and, and I'm sorry, some of you, you, you may not understand what I mean by this, and that's actually a good thing, but um, some of you will. I, I really avoid using the word journey because it's become a buzzword of, of Christianity today. But uh, it, the goal is for you and I on the journey that God has designed for us, the path for our lives, to have the faith that we need for what we're going to face. Use Daniel. Go read Hebrews chapter 11 and use all of the examples of, of men and women there of faith and what God did through them to build your faith. But you don't need Noah's faith. You don't need Abraham's faith. You don't need Isaac's faith. You need your faith because your faith is enough. Whatever God has designed you to do in his kingdom in these end times, it's enough. I noticed something this morning. Uh, I went back to, to, to reread a little bit of the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And, and in Daniel 6 and 10, he's, 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 uh, the decree has been made for if you pray to any other god, you're, you're going to get thrown in the lion's den. And so Daniel 6 and 10, and I want you to listen if you got to, uh, another device besides what you're watching on, or if you've got an actual Bible there to turn to, I, I want you to pay attention, read along with me if you can, to what this verse says. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, 
The writing he's talking about is this decree. He went into his house. Now, now watch this. It's this next part. And his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he did aforetime. The Message Bible says it this way. When Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and posted, he continued, this, here it is, this part, he continued to pray just as he always had done. His house had windows in the upstairs that opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he knelt there in prayer, thanking and praising God. So the, the, the first thing I want you to notice here, and I'll use the Message Bible for this, he continued to pray just as he had always done. He didn't, the, the first time he prayed was not after the king made this decree, and all of a sudden he goes, well, you know, you're not going to tell me what I can do or not do. I'm going to go, no. No. He did what he had always been doing. He did what was a what was a sort of a normal routine part of his life. But but here's the real point that I noticed this morning. And and I guess before I read that part again, I will tell you, and I, I don't think I'm the only one. I think I have always sort of at least some subconsciously thought that that he went home after this decree was made, that he went home and opened his windows as if it was some kind of protest and statement. But the scripture says, the King James says it this way, his windows being open. That means they were already open. And then, again, the Message Bible, his house had windows in the upstairs, that opened toward Jerusalem. Now, I don't want to overanalyze this verse, but if I read it just at face value, <laughs> the windows were already open. Again, I think I've always thought of this story that Daniel went home and sort of with this kind of, <laughs> sort of this production, you know, throws the windows open and is going to now pray. He was doing what he had already done. So when we sing, give me faith like Daniel in the lion's den, do you think Daniel knew that he had lion's den faith? <laughs> do you think when he went home and knelt to pray that day, that's because he knew, I, I'm, I've got the faith that I need. I don't think so. I have a feeling I have a feeling that Daniel, with probably because he was a human being, I have a feeling that with a degree of uncertainty as to what his future would be, he knelt down to pray because that was just who he was and what he did. And then the other thing, and I reread this this morning to try to make sure Sometimes I know, and I've made this mistake, we get, we get so familiar with a story in the Bible, we can, we can end up kind of adding to, and I don't mean that in, a, in an intentional, uh, deceitful way. We just kind of can start, I mean, it's kind of like any other story that gets told over and over. Every time it gets told, there's probably a little bit of an adjustment being made, not intentionally, not deceitfully, just it's, it's like the old game telephone. You start at one person, and by the time it gets to the last, it's basically never identical. And so I, I, I reread, and, and not only the verse I just read to you, but the other thing I wanted to double check was this. There is, there's nothing in this passage. I didn't go throughout the rest of the Bible. I didn't do that this morning, but I'm pretty sure... From my recollection, there's not any place in Scripture that gives any necessarily any more details about this story than 
this chapter. And so the thing that, that I, I noticed and double-checked this morning was there is nothing said about Daniel's behavior in the lion's den. There's nothing. The scripture just tells us he was thrown in there. It tells us about the king who was very disappointed that he had been tricked into this and, and was up all night because he was worried about Daniel and he comes back to the lion's den to find out you know, if, if Daniel's God had delivered him. And of course, as you know the story, that had happened. I, I will tell you, and, and, and again, maybe there's some of these things this morning that I'm just, it's just me. But I, with 7 billion people in the world, I'm pretty sure I'm not completely unique uh, in this regards. With I know we're unique, uniquely created, but when it comes to our, our thought processes, our struggles, I don't know of a person out of 7 billion or out of the history of man that they're, they're the only one that's ever kind of dealt with those struggles. And so I... I um, I think for me, and, and I, I've said this before. In fact, I think I've said this sometimes preaching. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna go back on what I said. I think I, I've always kind of thought, you know, Daniel got in that lion's den, and and it was he was just as calm and whatever as could be, and and you know, laid down next to one of those lions to kind of. Um, you know, snuggle up with and keep him warm for the night. And I have a feeling that's most of our uh, imagination of this scenario. And yet, again, there's absolutely nothing that I could find this morning that tells us anything about Daniel's actual experience in the lion's den. There's nothing that tells us what he felt or didn't feel. So there's just as much the possibility that rather than him being thrown in that lion's den and walking right over and starting to pet those lions as if they were, you know, tamed pets, there's just as much possibility that when he was thrown into that lion's den that he immediately found himself a corner and balled himself up <laughs> down on the ground, as small as he could be. Maybe he was sitting there shaking out of fear and worry because I know if it was me, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be in no cage with no lions. What if, what if Daniel actually spent the whole night in fear? And yet now we sing, give me faith, like Daniel's. What if Daniel's faith was not as um, uh, strong as we have the perception that it was? What if Daniel's faith is just like yours and my faith? Okay, I, I know some things that I, I believe I have felt in my own spirit. I've heard bishops say things. I've heard Brother Shelton. And again, I've heard other great men of God say things about where we are and what the future holds, and and I'm sort of this one side, there's this side of me that says, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing, I'm going to keep trusting God, I'm going to keep preaching, I'm going to keep ministering, I'm going to keep praying, I'm going to keep believing, but oh my goodness, <laughs> do I have what it takes for whatever the future holds? What if, what if Daniel said, or excuse me, not necessarily said, but what if when Daniel knelt down that day to pray that there was something inside of him that it wasn't like, bring it on, throw me in the line, let's go. What if? What if it was just simply his devotion to prayer, his commitment to God, that all he knew was, this is what I do. This is who I am. And therefore, if it costs me my life, but it wasn't, again, it wasn't some, you know, let's go, bring it on, you know, big chest bump thing with, you know. It, it, it may not have been that. I, You say, well, can you prove it wasn't? No, I can't. 
No, I can't. But unless I'm missing something, and if you know something, then uh, text me or email me after this, and, and I will clarify this evening and correct my inaccuracy. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure, again, not only from what I read this morning, but going through the inventory of my brain with scriptures that I know, I don't know of anything anywhere else that gives us the right to think that Daniel was fearless and that lions did. But now we sing, give me faith like, no, no. You just need the faith that God wants for you. You just need the faith that God's going to give you for your circumstances. That, that the other line, I guess, again, I guess the line about David is, you know, okay, but give me hope like Moses in the wilderness. <laughs> give me hope like Moses in the wilderness. I, I really wish we were in church right now so I could get feedback to help me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but I got, a, I got a question. Can you tell me, please, what was this hope that Moses had in the wilderness? <laughs> I, I, I wish, you know, maybe we need somebody monitoring the comments so that if you got something that would help, you could, you know, say it. But I have no idea. Again, great song, catchy tune. <laughs> I don't know what Moses' hope was in the wilderness. First of all, he was there because he had murdered an Egyptian and he's running for his life. He's a fugitive in the wilderness. <laughs> he's in the wilderness because he's scared for his life. <laughs> that's, that's all. He's not in the wilderness because he's on this conscious pursuit of his destiny and his purpose and his calling He's running for his life. And then when he actually has an encounter with God, he argues with God. Moses, I'm going to send you to be the one to deliver my people. No, 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 He's not saying anything, so. Please tell me, where is this hope? But man, we, give me, give me, uh, I, should have known, I should know it already by heart, but give me faith like Daniel in the lion's den. Give me hope like Moses in the wilderness. And so we sing that and we got this pedestal that we put Daniel and Moses on. And we're like, oh my God. I don't say that as in OMG. I mean that sincerely. <laughs> oh my God, how can I don't I don't have faith like Daniel? I don't I don't have hope like I I'm looking at everything going on around us. I don't have hope like Moses. Moses, I don't know the hope Moses had. <laughs> he again he argues. I mean, it, part of me says, how in the world? When you're having a conversation with a bush, <laughs> you're having a conversation with a bush that's burning and not being consumed, and then you're going to stand there and argue. <laughs> not me, God. I got a feeling there's some folks this morning that you've had some arguments with God. You, you get this sense of what God's calling you. You get this, you get this, maybe it's a, some of you probably have had dreams and visions from God. Others of you, God's spoken to you almost audibly about what he's, what's to do through your life, how he wants to use you. And like Moses, you're going, no, no not me, God, I can't do this. But again, we look back at Moses standing at the Red Sea with the rod parting the waters. But don't forget what took place before Moses got to the Red Sea standing there with a rod. All we think about is, man, he stood there with faith and confidence and smote the waters, but but all you got to do is read what led up to that. Read that, you know, he, he's, he's scared to death. We, they, they've The tenth plague, they've 
walk through the, or excuse me, they're leaving Egypt, but they're still in Egypt. And now they got the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army is pursuing them from behind. Moses wasn't, bring it on, let's go. No. Wait a minute, God, what have you done? Are you, <laughs> did you just bring us here now to destroy us? But again, we look back, man, Moses, I've got to be like Moses. Yeah, you actually, I don't have a problem with you saying you've got to be like Moses. But you need to be like Moses pre-Red Sea and realize all the stuff, all the challenges, all the doubts and fears that he went through before he ever got to the Red Sea. So I guess part of what I'm saying this morning if you got doubts and you got fears, you're on the right track. That's okay. God can still do all of this stuff that is exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think through you and me. I, I just I, You don't need it probably, but again, we kind of got no place to go, so I'm not going to just hurry here this morning. We, 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 we talk about Abraham. Abraham, the, the father of all believers. Abraham is, is in Scripture what we consider to be the model of faith. And, and Paul, I mean, when you read what Paul says, God, you know, it's, it, says that, it says that Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able to perform. Wow, that's awesome. That's powerful. And then we look at ourselves in the mirror and we go, man, I... I've heard, I want to believe. I want to believe end time worldwide harvest. I want to believe 100,000 people at Antioch. I, I want to believe my place, my role in the kingdom, but, but I, I got some doubts. I got some fears. But yet, go reread the story of Abraham. I'm sorry, but when you read the story of Abraham, he was not fully persuaded that God was able to perform what he had promised. Because there's several times where Abraham relied upon his own flesh. He told lies about who his wife was because he was scared to death for his life. I'm sorry, that doesn't sound like fully persuaded to me. So then the question becomes, well, did Paul lie? Was Paul inaccurate? No. The awesome thing about what Paul says is that to me it tells you and I that God is not judging us on our day-to-day -day actions. He's looking at the outcome. I mean, it's like athletics. If you are the winning team, you may have played the worst game. I mean, last weekend in the playoffs, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, quarterbacks for uh, Tom Brady for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Aaron Rodgers for the Green Bay Packers played in the, in the conference finals for the playoffs, and whoever won that game goes to the Super Bowl, and the Buccaneers won. But if you watch that game, Tom Brady didn't play a perfect game. In fact, he threw three interceptions in that game. He, did, he didn't play a perfect game. They didn't win that game because Tom Brady played perfectly. And the bottom line is, all that matters is, when the last second went off, the Buccaneers had more points than the, than the Packers. And so, who cares that he threw three interceptions? Who cares if he threw bad passes? Who cares if he made bad choices? The outcome on the scoreboard was the Buccaneers won. Obviously, I'm not sitting here today telling you and telling me don't worry about day-to-day -day and the mistakes and the failures that we make. Paul says, should we consent, continue in sin because of, because of the grace of God? He says, God forbid. I don't go out and live however I want to live because, well, God will forgive me. And there. No, absolutely not. But the struggle most of us have as those of us that are trying to genuinely walk with God is we have a tendency actually to magnify our mistakes and failures. And then they become these mountains that we cannot overcome. And forget because we're looking back. I look back and 
I see David killing Goliath. We, that's another, we don't know all the thoughts and feelings David had walking out. Yeah, we know what he said. You know, you, he says to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and shield, but I come in the name of, of the Lord. Oh, that sounds great. But we don't know. David's heart may have been pounding out of his chest. <laughs> this is what I believe. I know this is to be true, but <laughs> what if? So here we are, 2021. Well, it's the end times. God's going to do a great work, but... Man, we're facing some crazy opposition and crazy things are going on and it seems like crazier every day. And I don't know, my heart's beating out of my chest. Do I have what it takes? How about Esther? Again, although I would say that Esther is one of the characters of the Bible where we do tend to have a more realistic look because a lot of times when somebody's talking about Esther, uh, the 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 uh, the discourse between her and uh, Mordecai comes up. Mordecai says, you know, gets word to Esther, you you got to do something. Your people, you may be living in that palace, but you're one of us, and your people need you. And her initial response is, not me. I can't do anything. If I go before the king, I'm going to take I'm taking my own life in my hands. You want me to go to the king on behalf of our people, but I I I, I don't know about I <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. Obviously, as we know the story, finally she does. Finally she does go before the king and intercede for the children of Israel, the people of God, and yeah, we know the story. And the the decree that had been made was it was was canceled, and and uh, uh, Haman ends up hanging on the gallows that he created for uh, Mordecai. We look back and we see the victory, but too many times that's where we stop because, for our point of reference, we need to go to the other side of the victory. And remind ourselves, these were not immortal superheroes, superhumans with super strength that was different than the rest of humanity. It says of Elijah, I believe in the book of James, talking about prayer, he was a man that was subject to like passions as we are. Elijah was not some superhuman. What is it, an automaton, I think? He was, he was not some abnormal person. And yet he prayed and it didn't rain. <laughs> and he goes up onto a mountaintop and stands down the prophets of Baal and calls fire down from heaven. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, the, the, the stones, the water. There's nothing left. <laughs> but that's another one. Actually, when you look back at Elijah to Mount Carmel, to get to Mount Carmel, you got to go back through what happened after Mount Carmel. Because Elijah, the very next chapter, <laughs> he goes from this mountaintop experience, one of the most, to me, one of the most sort of sensational stories in all of the Bible. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice in front of everybody. And then in the next chapter, he's running scared for his life, literally asking God to just kill him. Just kill me. <laughs> but even at that, most of the time, it's, you know, it's, it's Mount Carmel. It's fire coming down from heaven. It's not the true, accurate picture. This was a man subject to like passions as we are. How about... How about Gideon? To me, again, Gideon is one that's another pretty good example because it's, it's flat out told us. We can read and see. He, he's hiding behind the wine press, afraid, and the angel of the Lord shows up. Oh, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. 
And in essence, his response is, who, me? <laughs> Do you see where I am? Do you see what I'm doing? Do you know why I'm doing this? And you're going to call me a mighty man of valor? You got the wrong person. <laughs> and then the, the, the process to get from that wine press to finally to the point of victory was... It wasn't an overnight thing. I mean, I would like to think that if an angel of the Lord showed up to me and gave me a word from God, I would like to think that I had enough faith that that was good enough. I mean, wow. But I don't know. I might be more like Gideon where, okay, I got an angel of the Lord, but now uh, let's just, God, if you don't mind, I got a favor to ask. I'm going to put this this cloth outside and and uh, when I wake up tomorrow, I'm asking you to let, you know, and this may not, I can't remember the exact sequence, so forgive me if this is backwards, but when I wake up tomorrow, I, I, want, this, I want this cloth to be uh, totally dry and the ground totally wet. And he wakes up and that's what happens. And then it's like, eh, I guess I think Gideon was kind of like, well, you know, that, that could just be a coincidence. So let's Okay, God, if you don't mind, one more thing. Let's, let's, I'm going to do this again, but this time, let the cloth be wet and then the rest of the ground dry. Sure enough, that's what happened. So now he's got an encounter with an angel, two different, I'll count them as, as individual, two different tests. So now he's got three things. The Bible says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Gideon's now got three witnesses. And that still wasn't enough. He sneaks down outside of the enemy's camp and overhears two of his enemies, or excuse me, I don't know if it was two, but one of his enemies talking to other ones about a dream and calls the name of Gideon. <laughs> and finally, it seems to be that was enough to get Gideon to finally obey God. And to me, as much as Gideon is one of those ones where a very real picture is painted of him. And, you know, as I said before, I can't find other stuff about Daniel. So I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Daniel was definitely afraid in the lion's den and that he hid in the corner. We don't know that because maybe he did lay down with the lions without any worry. With He wasn't anxious. He just he knew God had it. I don't know. But I do know what Gideon said. I do know what Esther said. I do know what Mary said when the angel of the Lord showed up to her and said, you're the one that's been chosen. And she starts arguing, not me. This can't be somebody else, but not me. And so again, we know what Gideon said. We know the, the, uh, the process that he had to go through to finally lead the children of God to victory. But I think even at that, all we think about is, oh, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor, and they're standing on three mountaintops, hilltops, and crushing these lamps and yelling out, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and this great victory's won. And we forget the process or the journey to get there. If we're all created in God's image and you and I go through struggles and fears, I, I think Joseph's another one, and I'm 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 gonna wrap up here, but Joseph, I would say, is similar to Daniel in the sense that we are not given all the details of how Joseph felt, what his thoughts were. And I think because of that, we put Joseph on this pedestal. I mean, he was thrown into in, into a pit. He sold into slavery. Uh, but man, he got to Potiphar's house and he worked hard and he became, you know, Potiphar's number two man as a slave. And then he gets thrown into jail. But, you know, he's thrown into jail and he rises to being the, uh, the, 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 um, um, oh my goodness, I just lost the, the term for the guy that kind of runs the jail. But He's, he becomes basically in, as a prisoner in charge of the jail. And then all that falls apart, and you know, or not necessarily falls apart, but from there he finally gets to Pharaoh's palace and 
But I think we, we have this perception that Joseph, man, he was just up every day. I got a dream. God gave me a dream. It's all good. It's going to happen. I, I, if Joseph was a human being like us, I think we can assume that there were some days that he laid down at night and tears were streaming down his face because he's been ripped away from his family, the environment he was raised in. He's now in a strange land. He's a slave in that strange land. And I, I have to believe there had to be some nights where Joseph laid there and cried himself to sleep, wondering what in the world is going on. And as much as he apparently rose to the challenge in every one of those scenarios, if he was a man like you and I, a human being like you and I, there is no way in this world there weren't days, there weren't some seasons, more than just a day, some seasons. I mean, how about the, how about the, the baker and the butler? He's in prison, they come, he has, they have dreams, he interprets the dreams, and uh, the butler, I believe, is the one that was returned back to his place. And he's telling him when he's leaving, hey, when you get to the palace, don't forget me. I, I would imagine, and again, I'm not trying to take liberties here, but I would imagine that after Joseph interpreted the dream of that butler and it came to pass, I would imagine that Joseph, for the next couple of days was waiting for any moment that somebody was going to show up to that prison and say, uh, can, can, we need a prisoner. <laughs> Bring us Joseph. And he walks out of prison. It was another two whole years. Two more years. Not two hours, not two days, not two weeks, not even two months. Two more years. And if Joseph was a human being like we are, I would imagine that with each passing day after the butler went back to the palace, that he got less and less hopeful. Oh, I believe there were some days in which he did remind himself of the dreams that he had and hold on to some hope that those dreams were going to come to pass. But I also believe there were days in which he feared and worried and doubted. He probably was depressed and discouraged. But again, what do we talk about? He was the one who led Egypt through seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. He's the one who forgave his brothers for all of the betrayal that went on and, and was the, you know, the one to help his family in this crisis. but we can look back to days and times where there's some weakness, there's some struggles. They weren't superheroes. They weren't superhuman. They weren't super Christians or super disciples. They're men and women just like you and I. Yesterday afternoon, Brother Shelton and I were just sitting around and just talking about a variety of things. And, and I want to say this very carefully because I don't want you to... Um, <laughs> I don't want you to take this wrong or misinterpret this. We 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 weren't we weren't gossiping. We we weren't we weren't gossiping. But in the course of just some of the conversations that we were having, he he shared some things about some um, some men of God. One in particular, who I admire. Look, I'm talking to someone I know, not just some random person. And uh, I probably, I think I would have to say in some ways, at least subconsciously, I've kind of put them on a pedestal because of their ministry. And again, please, please understand, it wasn't, a, it wasn't in a critical way. It wasn't in a gossiping way. All I can tell you is that the context of it was, was, was for the right reasons. It was positive. So please, please hear that, please. But he shared some of the some of the stuff that this this person dealt with goes through, and it wasn't that I was now disappointed or disillusioned in this person. It was, in fact, I have just as much respect for them right now as I did yesterday. <laughs> but I kind of sat there and I'm thinking, wait a minute, that person struggles with fear. 
I don't want you mind trying to fit. That was really the basic thing was fear. So like that person, they struggle with fear. I would have never in a million years thought that. And I wouldn't have thought that because my perceptions are basically based on ministry settings that I've been in with them. Where I've sat and listened to them preach, teach, minister. <laughs> and in my mind, they, they appeared to be kind of invincible. Like, man, that boy, I want to be like them. And you know what? After yesterday, I still would like to be like them. <laughs> it's not that I'm like, oh man, they're, well, they're not perfect. I, no, absolutely not. It's, oh, wait a minute, okay. <laughs> my response actually is, there's some hope for me. Because I thought they were just kind of the model of perfection. And guess what? They're a human being subject to like passions as we are. You know, most of you, especially those of you that have been a part of Antioch for any length of time, know that I'm known to be a very quiet person. But here's the thing. If this is all you know of me, if Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Thursday night is all you know of me, then you probably sit there and go, they say he's quiet, but I sure don't, I, I don't know how. I was I was in a counseling session a couple of weeks ago with someone, and I, I said it to them. I've said it to others before, but recently just said it again. Well, I guess based on this meeting, if you were if you were judging me on this meeting, you would think, I have no idea how they say you're a quiet person. It's not that I'm faking or putting on. It's just a testimony to the fact that God's giftings and anointings and whatever can cause us and empower us to do things that may not be our personalities. And so my, my hope, my burden today is, is kind of once again, because again, I, I forget the message, but several weeks ago, I think it was, I, I preached really kind of a similar message. But last night, very, I feel very clearly God dropped this into my spirit. And so somehow you and I, rather than reading about the men and women of faith, the men and women of the Bible and putting them on some kind of unattainable pedestal. Not, to, not, to, not for the purpose of fault finding. Not for the purpose of tearing them down. But for the purpose of reminding us and giving us realistic expectations. That if they could do it, we can do it. If God could do what he did through them, he can do in 2021 and whatever time is left in the future through us. And rather than just looking at the successes and the victories, we need to go back to the journey, the process that got them to the victories. Because right now, for the most part, most of us have had God do things and answer prayers and work out situations and deliver us from various things. And so, yeah, we, we've had some of that, but here we are facing some challenges and facing some mountains in our future. And I'm convinced the devil wants us to live in fear and doubt that I don't have what it takes. I need faith like Daniel. I need hope like Moses. No. You just need to be who you are, what you are. I've said it already. I'll say it again. Absolutely. We should use them as examples. We should use them to inspire our faith, but not looking at them through some kind of filter of perfection that they had this unshakable, unwavering faith and confidence. I think I could say this, I won't say it as an absolute, but I'm pretty sure you give me, especially the notable ones, you give me a notable character in the Bible, and I could pretty quickly tell you at least one flaw, one failure, one character issue 
every single one because as also as I've said already the Bible is very truthful it doesn't paint some kind of uh, perfect picture I read something the other day I, I may may end up doing a thought for the day on this in a couple of weeks or so but I came across an article the other day and uh, it was this some kind of, I think, writer or golf professional or golf writer for news outlets, whatever. And he took some amateur golfers to a golf to a professional golf tournament to watch this tournament. And the article was based on he had said to them, he said to these amateurs. Uh, with regards to the professionals, they're not that good. He didn't say they weren't good. He said they're not that good. And, and of course, he took some heat for that statement, but the, what he was trying to say was they don't do everything perfectly. They don't hit every shot perfectly. In fact, I was very shocked, and I don't want to get bogged down in this for all of you that aren't golfers, but I was very shocked there was some statistics that he shared and 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 the 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 difference between the professionals and the amateurs with regards to some of those statistics was actually not that big of a gap one of them was was just one example was the percentage of of fairways they hit <laughs> so that just for the non golfer that means kind of a a, a good shot you want to hit the the pros I, I think it was the pros do it um either 50 or 60 percent of the time and amateurs were about 40 or 50 whichever the, it was only about a 10 percentage point difference i was i've been playing golf since i was 12 years old i was shocked to hear that the point he was making basically was we set these unrealistic expectations we have these unrealistic perspectives and so I, I don't think I have to say I would hope I don't have to say this I am absolutely not here today to tear down the men and women of the Bible absolutely not but I am here to say that we need to look through a realistic filter because the enemy wants us to look through an unrealistic filter because then that discourages us. That causes us to feel like we're failures, we're hopeless, we might as well give up. But that's not the case. Father, I'm sitting here in very unexpected circumstances today. But obviously you knew that we would be in this situation today. It's not a coincidence, it's not chance. So I pray, God, that you will take what's been said this morning and use it in the hearts and lives of those that are watching today. Whatever their age is, young and old, God, whatever their role is at this point, whatever their ministry is at this point, and that you would work in their hearts and lives to bring about some, some confidence and faith that you really can use each one of us. You really can work through each one of us. You really can accomplish through each one of us what is needed in these last days. That our weaknesses, our fears, our doubts don't disqualify us. Yes, we need to deal with them in the right way. We need to handle them in the right way. We, we need to come before you with them and let you work them out in us, but they don't disqualify us. They they're not the proof that we just need to give up and quit because we're human beings and we've got weaknesses and struggles. You gave us example after example after example in your word of men and women who had some amazing successes in their walk with you in, in, in the kingdom, in your kingdom. But you also showed us the frailties and the weaknesses. So God, if you can do it through them, and some of them, Lord, you did it through them and they weren't even filled with your spirit like we are. We have you 
inside of us, empowering us, strengthening, strengthening us. So that's even more reason to believe that if you could do it through them, you can do it through us. Lord, it's not about us relying on ourselves. It's not about putting confidence and faith in ourselves. It's about putting faith and confidence in you, who you are and what you can do through us. As Paul said, Lord, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power might be of you and not of us. Give us a revelation. Give us a fresh revelation of that. Yes, we are earthen vessels. We are frail, fragile earthen vessels. But the excellency of the power is you in us. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Um, I think it may go without saying, but we are online this evening as well. So hopefully you'll be joining us tonight as well.